Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is Todd Lights, public address announcer for your Los Angeles Dodgers. And now, it's time for the Bleed Los Podcast with your hosts Alonso and Juan. And Alicia Del Valle. With the baby face gimmick in the sky, Roger. And this week's episode of the podcast is presented by our partners at Bet Online. Bet Online continues to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments for the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball, fights, and even NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering needs, including live betting and fan-favorite Vegas casino and poker games. Super easy to get started. Head over to their website today, which is betonline.ag. You can use it on your phone, iPad, if you're an old guy like Juan and I, iPad it up. And uh, sign up. Use our promo code, which is the network that we're on Believe which is B-L-E-A-V, and you'll receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Super easy. Bet online where the game starts. This week in the Carnasada, we have a, a friend of a friend that's stopping by, and we're going we're gonna to chop it up about all things about said friend as well and so much more. Uh, from Rose City Sound, Ricky Limota. Ricky, how are you doing? Hey, I'm wonderful. How are you? Doing okay. Thanks for, uh, thanks for stopping by. Uh, you guys have been busy. And and by you guys, I mean you, DJ Severe, Rose City Sound, but also you guys have a podcast that uh, that we wanted to talk to you about. Uh, what's the name of that podcast? On This Frequency. And we actually just recorded an episode tonight. So, uh, yeah, On This Frequency. We recorded uh, it right out of here. I like it. Um, I'm also envious that you have a Bob's Only shirt because I need a Bob's Only hoodie. So if, yes, if, I'll uh, get one. If uh, you've seen uh, one DJ Severe, he he rocks the bops only. He's a proud rocker of the Rose City Sound. And uh, but just so the people know, what do you do with Rose City Sound, and what is Rose City Sound? So Rose City Sound is um, an entertainment company, a production company, and I'm um, a co-founder. So Severe and I founded this in the middle of the pandemic. It was definitely something we didn't initially start out to do. It just blossomed into that. And so we provide music and entertainment, DJs, live bands for venues, private parties, backyard boogies, and Dodger Stadium. They're our number one customer right now. So that's what we do. Not a bad number one customer to have, though. At all. At all. We've, we've officially been in business for eight months. And so it's quite an accomplishment and a, and a major milestone, like you said, to have the Dodgers as our number one customer right now. And, uh, you know, obviously we know you guys have also been dealing with some social media drama because people keep hacking your socials. But uh, so if anyone's if anyone's got a link from any of their profiles, don't <laughs> click on the link. Just whatever you do, do not click the link. Don't click the link. Don't click the link. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because um, Severe's account was hacked a few, I want to probably like a, a month, a month and a half ago. And at the time we were starting to, come out and sell, you know, our bops only and our Rose City Sound merch that we'd been talking about for months. And so the hacker went and told everybody, hey, I'm releasing this clothing line and click this link so you have access to the new clothing line that's coming out. So, of course, we've been talking about releasing merch. 
they see this dialogue about clicking on this link and it just went to hell and people started <laughs> clicking on the link and everyone's getting hacked and it was just this incredible spiral of hacking. Hey, Ricky. So, I, I mean, you, we talked. To, there's many things we're going to get into. This is going to be very free form. But I want to start off with Club Ravine, right? Because that's where I see you. Every time I'm at the stadium, out in the center field plaza, I see you. And all those DJs that you guys see out there in the center field plaza, Ricky is the one that's behind those DJs. So, let's get into it a little bit. First of all, what do you think of this concept of Club Ravine? Because to my understanding, it was Jerry Hairston that coined that phrase. Is that correct? Or did he steal it from somebody? Did you guys come up with that? I mean, and is Club Ravine a real thing? Here's what, here's what I think happened. And here's the irony behind all of it. When we had this, uh, when we were presented this opportunity to provide the music for Centerfield Pavilion, it was just for the uh, pregame, two hours before the game, come in, get everybody warmed up, no problem. And then as um, the wild card game was approaching, the finals, all that stuff, they said, you know, we want to experiment with something and maybe do a performance post-game. We're not sure how it's going to work. We don't really have a budget for it. Um but we want to experiment with it and see how the fans would, would react to it, see if it would work. Cool. Let's do it. The Dodgers put very specific requirements to the type of music that's played, right? You can't, obviously, you know, nothing explicit. Everything has to be family friendly. And there's this one specific term. It cannot sound clubby. No clubby music. Okay? <laughs> which, which, which translates to... EDM type music. So it doesn't literally mean clubby. So I, I can't be taking Molly out in the center field plaza and just rolling hard. Is that what you're saying? As the I Dodgers frown. Yeah. The Dodgers frown upon that. Is that what you're telling me? No clubby music. So okay. the Dodgers hate dead mouse is what you're saying. <laughs> no, it's, it's a very particular thing to be. And you don't want, you don't want the fans to get crazy or rowdy. It becomes a security issue, becomes a safety issue. So you have to curate the energy in a very particular way. And that obviously is with music and the energy that these DJs put out, right? So all of the DJs that we bring into the, to the pavilion, it's this, we have guidelines, right? So we have our own contract with these DJs that go over, hey, everything that you do has to be pre-selected on a playlist. It's got to be clean, not club. It's such a routine. Severe sits down with everybody to make sure you don't mess this up. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. So you do you guys approve the playlist? We and DJs are okay with that? They don't come back to you and be like, hey, man, you can't tell me what to play. It's not that it's not that we approve the the playlist. It's a it's a simple their guidelines you're looking through and I'll, and I'll explain why we, we do that. Right? Okay. We, we had a situation that we had to address that specifically. Oh, we got some cheese man here. We got some cheese man. The carne it's the reason why we have very specific verbiage in our contracts, in our agreements with, with these DJs. So again, to go back to, Hey, no clubby music. The irony behind it is that of course it was, I think it was game five. One, it was exciting. We had DJ Selectra and DJ Hex. Severe came down from the booth 
And it, I had three DJs up there and it was crazy. It was wild. Everybody was dancing. And of course, Spectrum's broadcasting booth is right, you know, adjacent to where the stage is at. So they are seeing all of this. And I think that in that moment, Jerry just felt the energy. He was excited. He was pumped. And he was like, Club Ravine. I think it's just what came out of his mouth. It's what inspired him in that very moment. And it's that's how it it grew. You know, that's how it, it, it was coined. That's why I, I say it was an irony, because it was very much a, a club feeling. And I guess you can you can tie that into the baseball club, the fan club, the love of the game, the love of the excitement of the win. And it's all those elements were there. And it was I don't think I've ever been in an environment where, I mean, it was electric. I mean, I had I have goosebumps now thinking about just how intense that energy was. So I think that is what inspired Jerry to say that. And and it became that. You know, our post our post shows definitely became a, an opportunity for the fans to celebrate. I mean, we had to even perform when we lost. And I remember the Dodger staff coming out saying, listen, if we lose, we have to be prepared to play not celebratory music, but encouraging music. So Ricky, people- I was there one day when they lost and you guys had this violinist and I felt like I was on the Titanic, man. I'm walking through the center field pause and this violinist is playing the music and it was just like, damn, bro. They're let's- literally, we're sinking. We're dying on the Titanic here. <laughs> no, let's talk about that, that violin player. So right. we didn't, we didn't bring that violin player, so to speak, right? The Dodgers still can hire whoever they want to bring in any kind of entertainment whenever they want. That, so you know what I'm talking about, though, right? You know what you're talking about because okay. here's here's what happened. That day, I had six DJs at in the reserve section, top deck. We did the pre pregame, getting everybody pumped up. And it, at the center field pavilion, they had a violin player. And it was an important game. And everyone's like, why is there a violin player here? This is kind of, this isn't pumping us up. This is, this is weird. This is strange. Like, you know, what's happening here? So we didn't get to perform at at pregame there, but we were going to do the post game at the center field pavilion. So I run down and I tell the violin player at the end of his set, he plugged in his cell phone to the speaker that he had to try to play music to get people pumped up because he was like this is weird and playing the violin and people want to get excited and it's tough to get people excited with a violin even though he was outstanding incredible violin player so I asked him yo would you be willing to stay and perform with us we'll plug you into the system and you just go along and you play with what else we're performing he said yes I'll do it and then I realized you didn't clear this with the Dodgers you didn't tell them. I didn't I didn't commute because it was just like on the fly. I was like, I said, you know what? You'd be really cool performing with us. Let's all collaborate together. I was in the the spirit of it. And so I quickly had to navigate being able to communicate with the Dodgers sound engineer and their coordinator and say, hey, I'm adding an additional element to to our performance in the end. And he stayed and it was it was an outstanding. And again, you know, you have you have to make people feel a certain way. You want to make them feel 
some kind of way. It, 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 was, <laughs> it was those were some some good times. But making that call, that was one of the in in having this work with the Dodgers, you have to be in line with how they operate, right? You have to make sure that you don't step out of bounds and you don't make calls that they're not aware of. And and I, that was one of those instances where I went back and I, you know, apologized. I said, I'm sorry for making a, a quick decision on the fly to try to add a, a different element to the feeling. But in the end, it was cool. They said, no, no problem. We just want to make sure that everything was straight and you got everyone had what they needed to have a good performance. But I was stressing it. And Severe was like, you got to be careful when you do things like that because everyone's got to be – there's a program. Everyone follows it. The minute you step out of that, things can happen. So, look, before I throw it back to Alonzo, so is that the one that got you in trouble with them or was there another you were about to spill the tea on? What is the one that caused you to have it in the contracts? Oh, um, security said that one of our DJs played a song with uh, a bad word in it, right? Uh -huh. I said, no way. I said, she said, yes, you know, we've been uh, in, in securities debrief. We were notified that there was explicit content in one of the songs that was performed. I said, okay, what, uh, what, what song was it? What was it? And that there was footage of it. So that freaked me out even more. Now, what can happen sometimes is DJs will play a song and they have a clean edit of the song. It does not prevent the fans from singing out loud together whatever the explicit content is in the song. And even then, we stray away from that. Even then, we stray away from songs that could have the fans sing something out like that. So we went back and forth and I said, could I please see the footage? And then we sat down. We reviewed every single song Serato, the DJ program, it tells you what you played on, on your DJ set. We looked at everything. There was nothing on there. We thought, what the hell could they have heard or what what incited something? To this day, I never received the footage of, of the supposed explicit. But that's also when I learned that security is serious business there. And, and anytime you have any kind of involvement with security, you're pretty much kind of guilty before proven innocent. Like you, you, it's really what they say goes and that's that's why we have so many uh safeguards everywhere we can to make sure that the talent that we bring in there and how again how we operate and the relationships that we have with the staff there and security is top notch it has to be because i'm not willing to to compromise any of that this is a great contract that we have and i don't i don't want to mess any of that up so Hey, okay. secure, Dodger security is no joke. We can save that for another episode. I've been there when they beat up the left field pavilion locos. Yeah, yeah, they they don't they don't mess around there. Go ahead, Alonzo. Uh, so I'm just glad to hear it wasn't Skrillex's fault that that's why they <laughs> don't play EDM because that would have been awkward if we Ooh. ever had Skrillex on and say, "Hey, Sonny, our bad, bro." Um, yeah. I oh, go ahead. What were you gonna say? Ironically, you know, Severe actually plays a lot of house music. Uh -huh. In the actual stadium, he actually plays a lot of uh, uh, not transy kind of music, but but it's different in that setting, you know. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a different kind of setting when you're, you know, playing from the press box and with an incredible sound system versus still being ground level with fans that are coming in and and engaging with that kind of interaction of energy. So it's different. I was going to ask you, so how hard is it to like not get overly, as the kids would say, lit 
out in that in that center field plaza where they don't necessarily want you to do that, but that's what ends up kind of happening. So how how do you kind of mitigate that? I've, I'm not a good party thrower. I just throw events for a living. But I'm just kind of curious how you're like not doing that. How am I not doing that? Well, you guys as a, as a collective, since it, there's so many of you that, uh, that Ricky's going around picking up the red cups and just going, "Hey, turn it down. My parents are going to be here. Turn it down." It's um, you know, it's like a composer, right? You go, yeah. you see an orchestra, you go see a, a, to the Philharmonic, wherever, and you see the conductor, and he's there, you know composing and conducting the different instruments and the different volumes, it kind of works in the same way. You know, you're directing the DJ, but at the same time, and when you go, you'll see me in the middle dancing with everybody. You'll see me talking with people. You'll see, you'll see me kind of move throughout the crowd. But then also, as you mentioned, sometimes these people get crazy and then you'll see me next to the DJs or with security protecting the booth because people are dancing and, and doing all kinds of crazy things. You don't want to have any accidents or people running into the equipment. And it, so it's a it's a very fine line, a very, very fine line, because any song, any right song can escalate the energy very quickly. Right. Uh, yeah. They play. I remember Selectra playing House of Pain. Jump! Woo! Everybody was jumping. And and again, when you're coming off of a very important win, a significant win, and everyone's so part of the selling point. I remember when we were having discussions with the Dodgers, they wanted to keep concessions open. It's a money maker, right? Yeah. Keep concessions open, but security—that's overtime for security. And now they still got to babysit, you know, a bunch of lit people. Right. So I said, well, you know, close concessions and consider that area a place where people can dance their hangover off. You know, you're sweating. You're at this point, you're sweating all the alcohol that you just consumed. So you're preparing everyone to exit merrily and less intoxicated. There was all kinds of angles that we were trying to experiment with as to whether or not it was really a good idea to do post game shows um, at center field because it's, it's a tricky thing. I mean, I do know if Juan and I are there and you play either La Puerta Negra or Tu Carcel, it's over. Like it's, it, Puerta it, Negra. That's a classic, La Puerta it Negra. It's a classic where, where Juan becomes incredibly Mexican, more so than usual. He's just he's just saying words that aren't even in the damn song. Like just, that's just how Mexican he is. <laughs> I, I, I actually wanted to ask you that because I know you guys kind of have a diverse array of, yes. of DJs that you guys have out there, which is good, obviously, because it's catering to the eclectic fan base that is the Dodgers fan base. It isn't just people that listen to Skrillex, as we were talking about a second ago, but that people that just don't listen to hip hop either. So how, how do you kind of go about finding those those because you're the host, more or less, you know, for right. for people as, as our age group wouldn't know what that means. But uh but uh, when you go out and, and you kind of look for these DJs to, to do the thing, how do you kind of go about that to be able to know also that they'll follow the guidelines? So I love music. Music, I mean, I was raised around a musical family. My my dad was actually a DJ, played guitar. There's a picture that I, I got to repost this picture too. Um, I would always go with my dad to the bars, restaurants, wherever he was playing you would see me there hanging out with him. And there's a picture of me. I must've been five years old 
digging in the crates and getting the records ready for him. You know, I was handing him the records, whatever he was going to play next. I've been in that environment since as far back as, as I can remember. And I, I studied music. I went to Musicians Institute, studied music business, uh, managed my brother's band. He studied music engineering and production. So music is a part of who I am. And in my relationships with musicians and DJs, I always look, if it moves me and if it inspires me and I like it, we're going to work together. Uh, DJ Hex is one of the DJs that we've brought to the stadium time and time again. He and I met in seventh grade. We met in seventh grade. His dad was a DJ. My dad was a DJ. And I grew up in a very strict household. So my parents never let me go out to little dances or anything like that. So there was a Valentine's Day dance that I wanted to go to, couldn't go. And so his name is Hector. He said, well, let's just go to your house and we'll set up the DJ equipment. and We'll hang out there and we'll play music. I said, that's a great idea. I didn't tell my parents that I was going to do this. So seventh grade, all my like eight little friends come over in this very space that I'm sitting in right now, in this very space that I'm sitting in right now. Hector comes over, he sets up the equipment. We got like Arizona iced tea and candy. And this was this was over 28 years ago. Okay, so I'm aging myself here. I get a, a, a knock on the door and it's the principal of the junior high and the counselor. And they're like, we got word that a gang of kids walked over here and you guys are drinking and smoking alcohol. And, you know, those were the authorities you know, important figures. So I let them, they said, we need to come in and make sure everything's okay. Where are your parents? Call your mom and tell her that we're here and we're making sure that everything is okay. So they come in and they, of course they find nothing. We weren't doing, there was no drugs. There was no alcohol. It was just a bunch of kids playing records in this garage. Okay. So of course I get in an incredible amount of trouble. My parents end up sending me to Catholic school because of that, because I'm a bad person now, because I just wanted to hang out with my friends. But that's how far back DJ Hex and I go. We go that far back where I know the kind of music that he plays. I know what kind of family he comes from. I know what kind of music made him. So he's a DJ that I rest assured in his full creative force will deliver a performance that speaks to a Dodger crowd, that speaks to every kind of person that that can come in there, right? Freestyle, old school, funk, you know, cumbias, classics, all, you gotta be able to, to touch all of those genres. So man, I speak of him because he's a DJ, a great friend of mine that again, I continue to bring to the stadium. But that's a lot of the relationships that I have with these DJs. I know who they are. I understand why they love music and, and how they deliver music and the experience that the people are going to get as a result of, of their performance. So, and of course, the, the network of DJs that Severe has, it's an incredible catalog, an incredible catalog. I can't even begin to explain how many inquiries we get DJs hitting us up. Hey, listen to this mix. Hey, we're, we want to come to the stadium. We want to perform there. It's so much, but it's kind of one of those things where, you know, you can identify the it factor in someone, right? You can say, 
damn, that guy's that guy's good. That girl's good. Or they they got they have what it takes. It's it's an immediate yes or no for me. At least for me, when it comes to identifying talent that I want to work with, identifying talent that I want to see perform, it's pretty it's pretty quick. It's a pretty immediate thing. Hey, Ricky, uh, so you, you mentioned, okay, first of all, I need to know about your Catholic, uh, you know, school, uh, uh, prison sentence, your sentencing to Catholic school. Yes. So what, what's your background? Now, I know you're a Latina, but uh, what's the background here? So after um, I did my prison sentence at St. Lucie's Priory High School, I was a freshman, um, I tried to get into sports. I hated it. I did not want to go to school there. I wanted to go to Chafee High School, the high school that I just talked about earlier in my city of Ontario with all the beautiful trees, with a beautiful auditorium. I wanted to perform there. And I fought every moment of being in that Catholic school to get out of there. I wanted out and I finally did work my way out. But I was in journalism. I was in yearbook. I was the editor of my paper. I was I was really into I was really about the people. So I had a ton of acquaintances. I spoke with everybody. I had a great network of friends. And um, immediately following high school, I, I wanted to have a family. As I mentioned, I have a beautiful, 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 large family in music. And I wanted to have my own family. So I got married. I had kids very, very young. And I went to school, as I mentioned, uh, to study music business because I wanted to pursue my passion in music. And I was fortunate enough to procure a um, an internship with Sony Music. And I had the time of my life. I was able to be in an environment that I was thriving in, that I loved. The problem was I lived in Ontario, Sony Music, and I worked for the Latin division. Sony Norte was in Santa Monica. At the time, as I mentioned, I had two young kids. I had toddlers. And the father of my children was uh, your classic uh, machista, you know, husband who said it's either your career or your family. You can't do both. This is not going to this isn't going to work out. So, of course, with family pressures, I put aside what I wanted to study and the opportunities that I had. And my mom said, hey, they're hiring here where I work. My mom works in aviation. And I said, I don't want to work in aviation, you know. I, but I, I had to let the music thing go. So I said, okay, I'll get a, this little job. It's close, three minutes away from where I live. I can take my little toddlers to their little preschool thing. Everything's fine. I'll make this work. So I started making eight bucks an hour as a stock clerk at this company called Auto Instrument Service, right next to the Ontario airport. And um, 17 years later, I was there for 17 years, I ended up leaving the company as the uh, Director of Operations and Support Services. I pretty I, I ran that company, I fell in love, I devoted, I poured everything into that company. It was, it was my college education, really. But it was there that I met DJ Severe because he works in aviation too. And I remember somebody telling me, hey, that's um, because there was there were there were two locations, one in Ontario and one in Sun Valley. They did all of the avionics for the military, uh, Canadian, uh, Royal Thai Air Force, and Severe worked on units for like the F-16, the um, the B-2 bomber. 
And I remember them telling me, he's the DJ for the Dodgers. I said, what? How is the DJ for the Dodgers working there? I said, no, 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 you're lying. So I remember walking over there and, and seeing his toolbox and all of his Dodgers stuff. I thought, holy shit. I was so intimidated to talk to him because, A, I was raised a Dodger fan. I love the Dodgers. And B, you do the music and I love music. Like, what the hell? This is crazy. So he actually worked for me. And I was intimidated to talk to him because, again, shit, you do what I would love to do. So we didn't really talk. You know, we exchanged. Oh, hey, cool. And, and it was strictly work. Again, you know, I ran the entire operations and everyone, he was a part of the team that I was running. And then about, I think it was right before COVID, so a year before COVID, so maybe it was 2018, I got out of a really bad relationship and I wanted additional income. And I reached out to all of my DJ friends because I used to um, coordinate weddings. I was a wedding coordinator. And so I said, well, that's easy money. I could make some cash like that. I wanted to save up to get a house. And I hit up all my DJs. Hey, I need some I need some side work. Let me know what's up. He came back severe and he said, I'm looking for a manager. I don't want to hire you for wedding stuff, but I'm looking for a manager. And I, I would like for you to be my manager. And I said, what? No. And he kept trying to get me to go out. He's like, let's just have some coffee. Let's talk about it. And in my mind, it was a conflict because it brought up my past. It brought up what I used to do. You know, and I thought, I don't want to, I don't know that I want to do that again. I don't know that I want to start something that I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to finish. So it was a huge, like, turmoil thing that I was going through. I was like, nah, man, I just want to make some money. Just call me if you have a wedding. I'll do it. So then he kept insisting, like, just think about it, Rick. You know, I want to do like a 90s tour. And he just painted this really great picture. So I said, all right, you know what? Let's go get coffee. Fine. And he sat me down and he gave me the blueprint of his life. I mean, play by play, how he built his career, the challenges, the wins, everything, and then the trajectory he was on and what he wanted to do. I think he he talked for three hours straight. The most I've ever heard him speak in my life and the most I have ever not spoken in my life. I just listened. I said, okay, all right. And so then a couple of weeks later, he said, um, I said, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'm going to really seriously think about it. He had an event at, um, I think it was the West End Company Party. It was this huge, this, this major event. It was a, a thousand people. It was at the Bonaventure in downtown LA. They opened it up. It was enormous. He comes in, we're at work, again, we work together, and I see him like stressed out. And he says, oh man, it's all your people. I said, what do you mean it's all my people? Yeah, it's a bunch of Latinos at this wedding and, and there's always this one lady who wants me to play bachata and all this other music that I don't even know. And he was so stressed out about it. And I said, you know what, let me go check it out. I'll go, I'll go. I go to the, to the event and it is, it's massive and sure enough, He's at his booth and I kind of just, I stand next to him. I watch the room and I do my thing as a coordinator, right? 
read it, find out where everybody's from. I'll come back and I tell them, all right, look, we got a lot of people from El DF. You're going to want to play some Café Tacuba. You're going to want to play some Tucanes del uh, Tigres del Norte. Yes, that's what I was saying. So I was guiding him through all of that, which he already knew, but I was just kind of sprinkling some additional stuff. It was that later on in the night that I discovered because everybody starts coming up. Oh, can you play this? Oh, can you play that? Even things I had not even, there were people from countries I had never even heard of. It was the first time that I had heard about uh, uh, Punta, which is the type of music from the Latin Caribbean. Or I think, I'm not even sure, I better get this straight. I said, what, what do you want to listen to? He goes, you see, this is what they do. And I don't even under, cause there's a language barrier too, right? There's a language barrier. And, he, and I'm experiencing that challenge myself with people that I do understand because we speak the same language, but not the same music. So I was really excited by that. I was very challenged by that. And I enjoyed it. And we had a great time. And then a few weeks after that, Kobe dies. Kobe dies. I end up at a little bar in, uh, it's called, I don't know, have you guys ever been to La Cita? Yes. Okay. My friend Rita and I go down there because La Cita was doing a special tribute for Kobe. And, you know, we took candles and we're there, we were drinking. And I was telling Rita about my experience with Severe and saying, you know, I think I do want to do this. I'm not, I really enjoyed it. I think it's time. He calls me, he goes, where are you? I said, I'm at La Cita. He's like, I'm on my way. He shows up to La Cita and he goes, come on, Rick, let's do it. I said, okay. And we shook, we shook hands there at La Cita. We made an agreement that we would, work together. And one of the focal points was, I mean, he's obviously black. I'm obviously Latina. We wanted to bring those communities together. We have music in common and there's a common love for that, but there's also a lot of separation between the communities. And so that became a mission on both of our behalves to bring our communities together through music. And that was the original agreement that we, that we made the day after Kobe died. It was a very special day. So, so, so are, I mean, I know your partners in Rose city sound, but are you still his manager then? Do you still represent him? Oh, 100%. So we, that whole, once we made that agreement, we started, I think we may have done three events after that. And then COVID hit. That was it. He lost everything. Everything. There was nothing to manage at that point. Nothing. It's all gone. Everything is shut down. And at that time, you know, we still we still had our, our daytime jobs because of the military contracts that we had. We were considered essential workers. We had to keep all the, the planes flying. So um, we were working there. And then he said, shoot, what are we going to do? And that's at the time, all the DJs were going live on Instagram and everybody was performing live. And so we were watching all of that happen in real time. And so he takes a hike one morning and he calls me, goes, okay, I'm going to go live. I said, from where? He said, I don't know, your house somewhere. We got to find a place to go live. I got to play. I, I got to play. I can't not play. And And remember, he's going from playing at Dodger Stadium, playing at clubs, playing at venues, playing at weddings, to now you're not playing at all. It's been completely removed from your system. So we started to do the lives from my house. I had a little apartment down the street from, from where I, I'm currently at. And I changed my dining area and living room and I put a table. We brought monitors in and he started going live there. 
But at the same time, what was happening was my brother, as I mentioned, he was a, a sound engineer. He was building a studio at my mom's house, right? My, my mom and my brother, they lived together and he built this beautiful space. My brother, while he was building the studio, was also getting married. And so him and his wife got to a point where it's time to move out. They want to get married, have a baby. And my brother's baby was the studio. So it was, there was kind of like a breakup involved. So I called my brother and I said, well, I could use the studio space. It was bare. It was just the walls and that was it. And so he said, all right, well, if you come back to mom's house, you can have the studio. You guys can can build it. See, do, do what you got to do. I'm going to go start my life, do my thing. And I came in here and between myself and my kids and Severe, we all painted the walls and, and created this space that was a very therapeutic space, I would say, because we were doing the lives. We were now on Twitch and providing music and a source of outlet for people to play music and get drunk at home. People were just basically getting drunk on Twitch watching these performances. We're talking to strangers online, right? But as things started to open up, Severe would invite other DJs, right? And so, of course, even in this little studio we had, we had a COVID policy. You had to make sure that you were vaccinated or whatever, not sick. And so one by one, all these DJs started coming. And I swear to you, Ray, who is one of our, um, he's our photographer, but he's also a DJ. There was a picture that he took of uh, DJ Antique when he first came here. And Antique has played at the stadium various times. Diehard Dodger fan, one of my favorite DJs to also have at the stadium there. He just did Pups in the Park. When he came, Ray took this picture of him and Severe in the middle of their set. They just, they shook hands and, and Antique gave Severe like a big hug. Like, thank you for having this place for me to come and perform and for me to have this outlet. I told Ray, you're going to win a Pulitzer Prize for that picture because it caught the emotions of both Severe and Antique in this embrace of love because of music, with music, in a safe space. This is a very sacred space. And it's, and that emotion is one that repeated itself with everyone that stepped foot in the studio. Well, before I send it back to Alonzo, I just want to say I find it very inspiring that you you had this passion for music. And, and I get it. Sometimes life gets in the way. And there's many times that you hear stories of people that give up on that dream because life gets in the way. And very rarely do they have the opportunity to go back to it. And to hear you share that with us, that you get to to go back to your passion is is very inspiring. So I want to thank you for your candor and that. And and back to my buddy Alonso. As as a uh, a person that also works in events, 2020 was not a good time. No, nope. uh, did a couple of socially distant shows. Those obviously weren't as fun as doing a show. But uh, but that was kind of the birth year of Rose City Sound, right? That's kind of when everything, from you know, lack of a better term, kind of took off, and and you're kind of here where you're at now. So so with that, I'm kind of curious. D 
do you guys continue or plan on kind of continuing to do kind of your lack of better term meat and potatoes of of the twitch thing and doing the regular stuff that you're doing or is that just kind of now to the side burn you know to the or to the to the back burner just because everything is open for the time being so i know that um there are people on twitch that to this because we've met a lot of people on twitch now they'll go to the games oh i'm so and so i'm user xyz you don't even know people's real names you know them by their usernames right but there are still a lot of people on Twitch all over the world that we've never met that as soon as he go, goes live on Twitch as inconsistently as he does. And I say that because if you're familiar with Twitch, the DJs that have been on there consistently and, and have a straight repertoire, I mean, these guys are making money because they've conditioned all of their fans to know when they're going to be on. And it's the new radio. It's the new outlet for music sources, right? so to speak. Severe doesn't have that luxury because he does have the Dodger schedule. He does have other things. So we kind of balance it out when he's here in the studio. Yes, he'll do it. He actually wants to come out with uh, his own podcast, which we're probably going to end up doing and broadcasting on Twitch as well. So Twitch still very much has a relevance in, in our day-to-day and what we're doing. So it, it will definitely be a balance of, of both where we can have it. Although the bulk is definitely, it will be in real life. Which is good. I mean, obviously yeah. that's, that's, that's what we all want, right? You, I mean, it's cool to get lit in your living room, but you right. can only do that so many times before people like Juan will call you an alcoholic. <laughs> and, and on top of the stuff that you guys do, you guys do a lot of stuff as well, like you mentioned, in the community. You know, you guys have done stuff with Yasiel Puig's uh, Wild Horse Foundation. I know uh, uh, the new foundation that's kind of come to town is the uh, the Mookie Betts Pull-Up Foundation, obviously the Dodgers Foundation, uh, you know, in various kind of cities around. Uh, tell us kind of how that came about and, uh, and if there's any community events that we can pin for you guys. So that happened, again, in the middle of the pandemic. And I think that um, the Severe and I are night and day. We're, we're, he's, he's a very cautious very cautious individual and I'm a, a big risk taker. Ah, let's try this. Let's do that. Da, 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 da. So it's, it's a good balance. But what we have in common is get after the opportunity. What can we do? Where can we be? How can we help? So when everybody started doing those, those drive through um, donation type things where communities didn't have resources or access to food or just sanitary product, none of that. And the first person that I saw actively do that was um, George Lopez and the Wild Horse Foundation. And I was following them on Instagram. And I remember reaching out and thinking like, man, these volunteers are out there just filling people's cars. Maybe music would help. Maybe having some source of, of music going can help the day go by faster, help them do their jobs better. You know, you just, it's a good feeling. So I reached out to the Wild Horse Foundation. Um, Lisette, who is Yasiel's manager, uh, immediately got back to me and I said, hey, we, we would like to help. How can we help? We want to bring music. She said, oh, we would love it. Let's do it. Come on down. And I remember calling Severe and saying, hey, so I kind of signed us up to do this Um Donation thing. We're not going to get paid. We're donating our services. It's going to be time. And when I say that, 
it means that we pulled away from our actual daytime jobs where we were getting paid and having an income to go and do this because it was important. And I wanted to build those relationships with these folks. And so I was nervous that he was going to, you know, not not want to do it. Or it was kind of the first time I was tiptoeing around how he is as an activist. And he was immediately like, yes, let's go. Let's do it. And so we did all of Yasiel's foundation um, events that they did. Then the Dodgers called and said, hey, we see what you're doing. And you're can you come do it for the foundation, Dodgers Foundation as well? So we got involved with them and then with Mookie's people. So it's the least we could have done. You know, we were out there helping helping these families. The Rodney King Foundation, we did a lot of work for them as well. And I had no idea that Severe actually knew Rodney King and they went to school together as well. So that was a, a full circle for for us too. So yeah, we did a, um, a lot of work and all of that led to, that's where I met um, Hugo Alanis, who is George Lopez's partner and they, he has Chingon Bakery and he's one of our sponsors for the podcast that we have. All because of those ties and relationships you make with people. You never know who you're going to meet. You just don't. And when you're being of service, those gifts come back to you tenfold. I am a firm believer that if uh, whatever you put out into the universe, it's going to come back tenfold. So if you're being a, a sack of trash, that's what you're <laughs> going to get back tenfold, right? But if if you're actively trying to help the community, I firmly believe that whatever you're doing, even if if it if in your mind it's a blip in the on the radar, right. it's still going to come back, and that's that's the best in my opinion. It's better than getting paid, but obviously money's cool. Amen to that. Amen to that. Amen to that. Hey, Ricky. So I, I know you're a Latina. So are you, are you Mexican growing up in Southern California or what's your background? I was actually born in El Paso, Texas. So oh, my mom, I love El Paso. I love El Paso. <laughs> my mom was born in Juarez, Chihuahua. Okay. And my grandparents, so her parents um, owned, they were cotton farmers. And they had land and they had a cotton gin. And so my parents actually lived in Juarez at the time that my mom was pregnant with me. And the doctor said, hey, she's she's on the way. You might want to cross right now if you want to have her in the U.S. And so that's why I was born in El Paso. After that, um, I think the first three years of my life was in, in Juarez and then um back to El Paso and then we moved to La Puente but every summer every summer we would go back there was a, a little town uh San Ignacio about I don't know it's probably like 60 miles south of of Juarez that's where my grandparents lived and my brother and I would go out there and um pick cotton hang out with goats and chickens and live the farm life the best best years of my life uh being able to be raised in that beautiful, calm environment where I would drink Coke out of those bottles that you're drinking right now. <laughs> shout out to uh, el, los, los Chihuahuas del Paso, by the way. Oh, you beat me to it, Alonso. I was about to shout them out, but shout out to Laurita's Kitchen. That's a, a very nice uh, little restaurant there in El Paso. So, okay, you're, you're a border kid, right? You're you're a border kid. So yeah. I, I got to ask you this. And you are you have a front seat to this, right? I, I talked about this with Dylan Hernandez, and and I wonder if some people get upset about this. But to me, the majority of the fans in that stadium are Latinos, or 
I, I think they're, they're, they're Mexican-American. And the reason I say that, and we talked about this, uh, you know, off air, but when Severe plays La Puerta Negra, it feels like the whole stadium <laughs> joins in to sing. I mean, that, I mean, up in that booth, you, you got Severe, and then you got the other half Mexican up there in Dieter Rule. And then uh, Dieter plays Los Angeles Azules, and I hear, I hear people start going, he just went, Como te voy a olvidar? So, yep. I, so I got the two questions. The first question is, is the majority of that stadium Latino? And do you appreciate the Dodgers finally coming around and recognizing that audience? It's obvious that they recognize that audience. It's very obvious and it's apparent when you, as soon as you walk into the stadium, you have, you know, La Taqueria that's there. You have the elotes that are on the grill. You have the little jaritos that they're serving. It's, it's 100% accommodating to the Latino community. 100%. It's, it's incredibly obvious. Um, but here's an interesting, an interesting story for you. Um, Tuesday, last Tuesday was Mexican Heritage Day. Yes. Uh, we took for the first game. That was a really long day because it was a double header. We took uh, Hello Breezy. Hello Breezy came uh, with the Hello Stranger family, their well-known production company, club, bar establishment in in uh, Little Tokyo. Hello Breezy was the first all vinyl set that was done there in the stadium on our behalf. She's Latina. Um, because she did an all vinyl set, you very much have to have your stuff organized and planned. Like, you know, what's, what's going to be played. And so we had some staffs, you know, come up and hit me up. Like, is she going to play some more, you know, Mexican-y kind of music? And it, you know, you smile and say, yeah, yeah, it's coming. But everything that was played that day, we listened to everything, right? Right. And, I'm, and and that's those are two different topics. What do Mexicans listen to? What do Latinos listen to? It's yeah. all a jumble of everything. Because it's not even that. What do people from L.A. listen to? People from L.A. listen to everything. Mexicans from L.A., Latinos from L.A. It's, it's a melting pot of culture. A melting pot of culture. So you say, okay, well, the talent that I'm bringing in, they represent the best of that, of who we are, of what we are, of what we grew up listening to, of our childhood, of our adulthood, of our club life, of our crying life, everything. Who we are is what we are and what you're listening to. The second game that we brought, uh, second talent that we brought was Jay Valentino for, for the second game. Jay Valentino had everybody doing the <sighs> El Caballo Dorado. The oh, line yeah. that I have video, I haven't posted it yet. He had the entire center field pavilion dancing to El Caballo Dorado. I don't like that song. I hate it. It's probably <laughs> I don't know how to line dance, and I'm jealous that I don't know how to do that. But that's what our people like to listen to. That's what they'll move to. That's what they'll dance to, and that's that's what it is. So it, it's. So I have mixed feelings about uh, Mexican Heritage Day, Japanese Heritage Day, uh, whatever, whatever kind of Heritage Day. That's a tough one because mm -hmm. how do you pinpoint, 
all right, you want it to be Mexican Heritage Day? Then you're going to specifically just get Mexican and you're not going to like just Mexican music. Mm-hmm. You're not going to like it. If you just listen to what comes out of the state of Mexico, I'm sorry, the state, the country of Mexico, it's it's a vast, we were talking about the mariachis, right? I was telling Severe the other day, imagine you're in Nigeria. Nigeria has a soccer team and they're going to have an American Heritage Day. And they decide that, American heritage is the state of Texas. And they're using the state of Texas to represent all of America on American Heritage Day at the event that they're having. Is that a fair representation? The state of, no disrespect to Texas. I'm from Texas. I love Texas. But it's a small scope of an entire country, right? So you think about the mariachi. Dodgers love the mariachi. We like to continuously bring the mariachi, but the mariachi is from Jalisco. That's one state in all of Mexico. And yes, it's universal. Yes. Wait, the mariachi is from Jalisco, right? Guadalajara. Let let me ask you this, because, you know, Mariachi Los Toros is the official mariachi band at the Bleed Los podcast. So we, we show a lot of love to Mariachi Los Toros, but. Did the Dodgers overdo it with the mariachi? Did they kill the mariachi? Okay, so let me ask you. The only reason why I'm asking you this is because we had Max Muncy on the show. Now, Max Muncy said he loves the mariachi, that all the players love the mariachi. But did the Dodgers go to that well, too? Because I feel like the tide is turning now on the mariachis, and there's a lot of haters on the mariachi. Shouts out to Juan Toribio, friend of the Asada, who seems to like blame the mariachis for the Dodgers losing. Did they go too far with the mariachis? Did they kill the mariachis? It's like this. Though I, I feel like uh, their view of it is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. They have a formula with the mariachis that works, meaning the majority like it. And a lot of what the Dodgers do, so they have uh, fan services, right? If you go to fan services and you say, I love the mariachi, the more you tell fan services you love something in particular, that's what's escalated. That's what's reported. Hey, people love this, right? And so you build you build around that. You build around the feedback that you get. In my opinion, I mean, I'm over the mariachi. I love the mariachi, but I'm desensitized to the mariachi now because now I'm, I'm already expecting it. Okay. And don't get me wrong. On the day that Mexican Heritage Day, I saw the 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 dancers on the field and and there's there is no there's nothing like hearing the mariachis play you know that bass the guitar their voices it's it's beautiful it's nostalgic it's it's a connection i get it i get it but there's so much more we could do there's a and i think that's probably the most frustrating thing that i just it drives me crazy i think about all the talent that exists out there that we could bring into the stadium that could be inclusive of everything for everyone but it's taking those risks right it's taking the mariachi works the mariachi is safe the mariachi is universal if it ain't broke don't fix it there we go. So we're, uh, we're going to wrap things up here. We're going to end things the way we always end them on, on the Bleed Lows podcast. But before we do that, I, I do have to ask you something about. So you were a production manager for Don Juan Tequila. I, 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 is that correct? Don Juan. Uh, or were you lying on your resume? <laughs> no, um, that's actually my dad's tequila. My dad. Oh, really? My family's tequila. So. Um, 
Oh, and it's so good too. I didn't even like tequila before. So my dad left. Um, he divorced my mom about 22 years ago. And he took off to Mexico and he disappeared for like three years. We didn't even, we don't know. We I didn't mean to un- open up this uh, wound here and create family <laughs> trauma for you to share here, Ricky. My, my apologies. I did not know. No, 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 no. Rip the bandaid off. It. This is where she cries. So this is my, uh, this is my Barbara Walters moment. I, I got Ricky to cry. Our apologies to Don Juan Tequila. Cause damn, this is about to get heavy. No, 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 no. It's wonderful. He disappeared for three years. And when he came back to life and his rebirth, like a phoenix came out of nowhere, he had a tequila. He was like, I want to make this tequila. And, you know, he was living, he lived in Mexico City. He was in the heart of, of that culture, of that life. My dad was born in East Los Angeles. And so he escaped, (laughs) he escaped and lived this very creative life and he fell in love with tequila so his in his infinite studies of tequila he wanted to bring tequila in a different light to the u.s he in 2007 he actually uh did the first tequila festival at the pomona fairplex and he invited every tequila known to man at the time to the festival so he had he had uh pedro Infante, not pedro Infante. I can't even think of his name now, who he had performed. He had all kinds of artists, performances, everything. All of our family poured money into this major festival because he wanted to teach people how to drink tequila. He wanted to teach people that tequila should be sipped and enjoyed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ricky. <laughs> Not just shot back, get drunk, and that's it. He wanted to teach people how to drink tequila. So it was there. They had a submission on you know the best tequila. And there he met his the man that would end up distilling Don Juan tequila. So he partnered up with this guy. We raised money and, and it was incredible to see my dad's dreams. I mean, I I saw his drawings in his little moleskin notebook, designing the bottle and everything. And then to finally see the final product. I mean, I was labeling every bottle we had when we went to the distillery in Jalisco. Beautiful. Um, and ironically, and it's called Don Juan Tequila because I got to get you guys some bottles. You'll like it. We make a yes. silver, a reposado, and an añejo. But the story goes that the man who taught Don Juan how to be Don Juan was Marquez de la Mota. And Mota's our last name, right? Uh-huh. So, so the story goes that Don Juan really had a little muse on the side. He Don Juan's little wingman was like, yo, you got to talk to the ladies like this. You got to eat this. You got to drink this. You got to listen to this. This is how you woe people. So this is the Mexican Cyrano de Bergerac is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well done. Well done. The things you learn on the carne asada, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. So wait, so was he a, was he a, a, a maestro catador? Who? Your, your dad. Because I know there's only like a handful of those guys. Like they're in a like in a notebook. Like everything else is in Mexico. <laughs> he probably is in some random notebook. But no, he he um, this was this was his this was his baby, this was his baby, and and we all helped him bring it bring it to life. And so it is, it's here. <laughs> but but he went through um a funny divorce, and we had to kind of put everything on hold and. Now I just have cases of tequila 
Hey, send me a viejo, yeah. Send me a viejo. We'll take it off your hands. We're, we're not catadores or somaliers. That's the Spanish word for it. We'll, we'll, we'll gladly Q&A it for you, give you whatever feedback. Well, what what, what kind of, what's your favorite tequila then? Mine personally is uh, Tres Generaciones. Okay. I'm a clase, a clase ocho guy. Clase ocho. Uh, clase ocho, but I, I'm open to anything. Uh, you, we're going to segue from tequila to tacos real quick, but ra rapid round. You said you were a lifetime Dodger fan. Who was your favorite Dodger growing up as a kid? Who who would you say was the, the Dodger that made you a Dodger fan? Well, it was definitely Kirk Gibson, you know, in that World Series, that, that timeless home run. Um, I was a kid. I was a kid, so that's stapled in my head, and that's that's what um, sealed the deal for me. So it was definitely Kirk Gibson. Okay, so here we go, Ricky. Uh, moment of truth here. Uh, being that you you basically grew up in Southern California, you know no. we're all about taco culture here on the on the Bleed Lows podcast. So we need to know what is your favorite taco, and where do you go to get that taco? Easy work, La Tamazuleña. And La Tamazuleña is right around the corner from where I live here in Ontario. Their, their carne asada is just perfectly seasoned. It's moist. It doesn't even need additional salsa because it's just a well-balanced, well-cooked, finely chopped delivery taco. It's the best taco in the world, La Tamazuleña. There we go. Now we got to go all the way to the IE, Alonzo. So we're going to have to have tacos out there. But, hey, what a way to end the show, right? Tacos and tequila. There you go, Alonzo. Well, and, I mean, listen, we're planning some big all-star game stuff, and I guess we have a taco tour that involves going to the IE now. Yes. I'm not mad about that. Yeah. I mean, you, you sold me. I mean, it's perfectly made carne asada, sabes que? All right, let's go. <laughs> Uh, but on that note, Ricky, where uh, where can people find you on the socials if uh, if people want to find you on the socials? They can find me on Instagram, uh, Ricky Lee Mota, R-I-C-K-I-E-L-E-E-M-O-T-A. And then, of course, Rose City Sound, Rose City Sound, R-O-S-E. I don't even know how to spell sound. S-O-U-N-D. Yes. Underscore at the end of Rose City Sound. And uh, if anyone wants to get any of the Rose City Sound merch, we talked about the Bops Only hoodie. JT's worn that shirt. Where can you get that? Yes, 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 yes. DM us at Rose City Sound. We have a website coming soon, and we'll be able to have a link there as well. So, Hey, our producer Babyface needs to know because he's so hip. What does Bops mean? What does it stand for? Well okay, done. So well done. <laughs> I used to say, yo, that's the anytime I there was a song that I liked, I would say that's the jam. That's the cut. That that's what's up. The jam, right? Yeah. So Bops Because you're from the 80s. We get it. <laughs> bops is synonymous with jams. So it's, okay. it's hey, that's a good song. That's a bop. It's that's a, bop, a bop, bop only. Bop only. Instead so of bangers only. only plays bops only. So instead of bangers only, it's bops only. I don't like bangers only. Bops is way better than bangers only. I mean, the kids say weird things. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not as old as Juan, but I'm not as young as. Hey, I'm jiggy with it. Uh, <laughs> and and again, thank you for telling us you're from the early 2000s, Juan. I appreciate it. <laughs> but uh, but on that note, go follow Ricky and follow Severe. Follow all things Rose City Sound. Severe has been great to us, and yes. uh, and a friend of the Carnasala, friend in real life, and uh, and also a, just a great human. And, and both of these folks are great humans as well. So go follow them and do the thing. But on that note, this episode of the podcast was presented by our partners at Bet Online. They're the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Go find them. Their website is betonline.ag. It's really easy to get started. 
head to that website, use your iPad, use your phone, whatever. Use our promo code, which is Believe, B-L-E-A-V, and you will receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's that easy. Bet online where the game starts. Huge shout out to Bet Online. Huge shout out to uh, Rose City Sound. Check out everything that they got going on. They're uh, they're quality humans, and uh, and you know what? We may even get some tequila out of this. So I'm not even mad about it. That's where we're at in this economy. That's a dub. So uh, on that note, thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Bleed Los Podcast. Sidebar personal note: huge thanks to my co-host Juan and Alicia for holding the fort down while I was out dealing with the family matter. You guys are real ones, and uh, we will catch you down the road. Stay safe, and we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please subscribe and leave a review to the Bleed Lows Podcast. The Bleed Lows Podcast is a Dodgers Beat production. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.